Welcome. Today, it's another beautiful Tuesday here in the South. Well, actually, it's a little rainy and kind of the last throes of uh, early fall, and we'll get to some cool temperatures tonight. But this is your host, Charles Cook, on the Immigration Hour. It's great to be back with you. Uh, it's been a really interesting week. Uh, I am the proud grandfather of my first grandson uh, from this last uh, Friday, I guess it was early set, early Friday morning. Uh, he is our sixth grandchild. We have five lovely granddaughters and now a handsome grandson. And one more granddaughter is on her way this week, we think. So, you know, I got to tell you, I'm happy. It's, um, it's really a cool thing to be with family. Uh, and grandchildren, by the way, are way better than children. I mean, I, I would do it first next time if I had a choice. Um, but we are still uh, in immigration law. We still uh, are in the midst of a battle. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to speak to a PAL group. A PAL's group is uh, basically retired folk uh, who um, get together to hear lectures on different topics uh, of, of importance in their lives or things they're interested in. I was asked to speak yesterday at a local Presbyterian church to a group of about 50, let's call them seniored citizens, um, and probably anywhere from 65 to, at least in some cases, about 80, uh, maybe 85, about immigration. And, you know, this, this is an interesting topic in an interesting demographic in an interesting state here in Georgia. And uh, I expected it to be, um, you know, I guess I, I didn't know what to expect. Because I have talked to these groups before. I spoke to a group at Emory in the same, same age category, and I was overwhelmed with the support for immigrants. But this is in a different part of town, uh, different different faith group, and I thought maybe this is going to be a little bit different. So um, I want to thank Bill Berger. He invited me. Bill Berger is a former immigration lawyer. His brother uh, is uh, a, a longtime uh, friend of mine, uh, another uh, immigration lawyer, and he invited me to come to speak to this group that he participates in. And um, he says, "Well, don't make it political, <laughs> but you need to get home the following points about." low crime rates, and, you know, the standards that we talk about here on our show, you know, the facts. Uh, and so I, I figured the best approach for this group would be to talk about uh, what immigration means to me uh, and why I do what I do and what it means for America. And so you start out by asking people how many are first generation or, uh, or, them, or that is, their parents were immigrants or they themselves are immigrants, and there was a few that raised their hands. You know, and how many were second generation? That was almost about third, two-thirds of the group. But then finally, how many were third generation? And that was basically everybody in the room. So, you know, these folks are not far removed from their immigrant ancestors. I am second generation myself. Um, and uh, I asked them to think uh, what it would be like today if their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents were immigrating today. Would it have been any different? And we... We walk through the, the four principal ways to legally immigrate to America. You know, you walk through family, uh, you walk through uh, the lottery, uh, you walk through uh, asylum and refugees, and you walk through employment-based immigration. Uh, and people, I think, were shocked about, um, you know, how difficult it was and uh, trying to understand the limited numbers. Uh, and then, of course, I always ask this question in groups, is how many people like chicken? Not chickens per se, but how many people like to eat chicken? Of course, almost everybody raises their hands. I say, well, you know, if you like chicken, 
then you need to fix our legal immigration system because the people that work in chicken processing plants, generally speaking, aren't here, aren't here with papers. Uh, they're here with fake documents because it's a terrible job. And this, that's meant to get people to think, really, about uh, what, it, what our legal immigration system means to us as a country, uh, the fact that we haven't really looked at our legal immigration system for 30 years when our economy was half the size it was today, half the size. And uh, it's been a really interesting um, thing to delve into uh, immigration as, as politics and immigration as uh, economic uh, strength and immigration as political strength. Uh, when all you hear uh, from Trump and his minions are about how terrible immigrants are. Now, they will always say, but uh, legal immigrants, they should come legally. But as I explain to people what it meant to come legally and how for some people it takes a very, very long time to come, come legally because our system doesn't recognize their appropriate economic values to our country. Now, there's an interesting uh, statistic out there, an interesting um, data set called Foreign Direct Investment, Foreign Direct Investment, or FDI. Uh, FDI um, is money that comes directly from abroad into the United States, either through corporations or individuals that are in the United States. Um, so this is money that, you know, otherwise would, if we had no immigration, this is money that wouldn't be here. So if we cut off legal immigration, this money goes away. This is almost all from, this is all legal immigration money. So foreign direct investment in the United States over the five, last five years is $1.6 trillion. And it accounts for about a half a million new U.S. jobs every single year. Now that isn't just, oh, Chuck, you just pulled that number out of your bum. No, this actually comes from the Bureau of Economic Analysis from the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, from 2017, uh, expenditures by foreign direct investors to acquire, establish, or expand U.S. businesses totaled $259.6 billion in 2017. Uh, these expenses were down 32% from almost $400 billion in 2016 and were below the average annual numbers from uh, about 360 between 2014 and 2016. So you can see the immediate effect of the Trump administration is reducing foreign direct investment. Um, in 2017, these expenditures and acquisitions uh, were for uh, uh, new businesses. Uh, they were to uh, establish new businesses here, uh, and they were to expand new businesses in the United States. Uh, so when you think about this, this is, this is really a remarkable number. Here's what's even more remarkable. 99% of the foreign direct investment money comes from countries and foreign nationals who can presently immigrate within two years. And what do I mean by that? You know, we spent a lot of time in the last several shows talking about Senate Bill 386 and how great that is if you're from India and someone from China, but how bad it is for the rest of the world because you're shutting off legal immigration uh, to the United States for a decade, at least. Uh, there are some people that think it's like 17 years. Uh, but it also doesn't account, people that say it's only five years don't account for the fact that 
India will keep using 80% of H-1Bs, which means they'll keep using 80% of the immigrant visa numbers, which means there will perpetually be very few numbers available for the rest of the world. If you, if you put this in the context of the FDI, the foreign direct investment, 99% of foreign direct investment of about $300 billion for fiscal year 2018 um, came from the other countries. That means less than 1% uh, came from India and China. In fact, like India only accounted for 0.15% of the total, and China uh, accounted for 0.6%. 86% of foreign direct investment in the United States came from Canada and Europe, and yet Senate Bill 386 would effectively block Canadians and Europeans from obtaining green cards through employment and investment and would likely significantly impact the foreign direct investment since those nationals will not be able to come to the United States or to send their employees here for permanent overseas assignments to direct their businesses. Um, this is really fascinating numbers uh, that, you know, when you think about uh, 386, the, the gut reaction, of course, is, well, it's not, it's not fair for Indians to wait 150 years, but it's also not fair to cut off the ability of every other country in the world to immigrate to the United States. There's got to be a better way. We don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul. This is like thinking that immigrants take jobs from Americans when they come to America, and they don't because the pie isn't X big. But in this case, the pie is X big. The pie is 40,000 for EB2s and 40,000 for EB3s, and Congress refuses to make the pie bigger, at least preliminarily. Um, so the overall numbers, they're simply refuse to, to increase. Um, Immigration is obviously a job creator. If we're creating 500,000 jobs a year from this money that comes from the rest of the world, primarily from Canada and Europe, and we cut this off, um, this, would, uh, this would be a substantial uh, economic uh, uh, hardship for the United States. And think about this. Um, this would be, these countries would be completely shut out for a decade and then only be eligible if they can obtain a dual intent H-1B to remain in the U.S. and work, as opposed to a TN, an L, or an E, or an O, um, which, are, which all end at a certain point of time, and they would have to leave the United States. Uh, and all that point of time is less than the 10 years they'd be waiting. So basically, what 386 does is it penalizes job creators for the primary benefit of one industry's workers. Now, Tim Cook came out for 386, and Congress must pass this bill. Um, of course, because Apple's the number two user of H-1Bs. I get that. I mean, it's I have clients that use H-1Bs extensively because they can't get U.S. workers through these jobs. Um, but the, the end result, the end of the day, is not to uh, rob Peter to pay Paul, not to cut off your nose and spite your face, but to work for an active solution. A disappointing part of this, I mean, really disappointing part of this, is there's a coalition that put 386 together uh, and worked for a long time. And I respect their decade-long work for this project. We, I mean, I have in the past talked to them about uh, litigation uh, and moving forward. They all know litigation is not a really viable option, unfortunately, uh, to force the non-counting of spouses and children. Uh, and my good friend Ira Kurzman just lost that lawsuit on the, in the EB-5 context in which it was probably the best opportunity uh, to not count uh, spouses and children because of the language of the EB-5 program. Um, but to, to push forward legislation that you would know will have the intentional effect of taking everybody else's numbers, um, that's disappointing. 
that you would move that forward. Uh, and I, I mean, I understand it's an act of desperation. It's quite clear that a lot of people on Twitter are, are, are very desperate. I see that in, my, in the responses to my tweets and calling for me to be, uh, to be hung, uh, for that I'm a racist, that, I am, uh, that my businesses should be, uh, people shouldn't go to see me. Uh, um, you know, if you cut off uh, access, access to lawyers for every lawyer that didn't support 386, you'd be dealing with very few lawyers. Um, you know, that'll, that'll, we'll see later this week how that comes out, but I think you'd be dealing with very few lawyers. Um, at the end of the day, however, um, looking in the context of how immigration works in our society, and I talked to this group of seniors, um, you know, I, I, I tried to leave them with the impression that immigration, one, must work for America, two, has worked for America. Uh, we are only the country today because of immigration over the last uh, 240 years of our, of our republic. And as we move forward, we can't lose sight of that. Uh, we can't lose the focus that is so important and, and understand how vital uh, immigration is to our well-being, uh, to our... Uh, to our vitality, and to our economic growth and competitiveness, especially in light of our two largest economic competitors who are five times our size. Um, anyway, I'll leave you with those thoughts today. I'm going to come back in just a second and talk a little bit more about uh, Senate Bill 2603. This is the Durbin Bill, which is uh, uh, dropped as an uh, alternative to Senate Bill 386. We're going to talk about a little bit deep dive on what those provisions mean and uh, the politics of both of these bills. We'll be back in just a second on the Immigration Hour. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be back with you. Um, and we have an advanced copy of Senate Bill uh, 2603, uh, which is called the Relief Act. And um, Relief Act stands for Resolving Extended Limbo for Immigrant Employees and Families Act. I do love the creativity of our congressmen and senators as they come up with uh, acronyms and words to fill those acronyms. So um, I think we, as we look at this bill, it's really vital that we have in front of us a copy of the Immigration and Nationality Act because the bill, of course, amends the Immigration Nationality Act. So let's start with provision section one um, uh, of this bill, uh, that's the title. Section two is the numerical limitation to any single foreign state. So as we uh, take a look at section 202, it says section 202A2 of the INA is amended in the paragraph heading by striking and employment base. So this is uh, under right now, it says per country levels for family sponsored and employment sponsored immigrants. Uh, so under this paragraph, it says heading by striking, striking employment base and then striking three, four, and five, which are the provisions for the uh, 7% and the allocation of rules for permanent residents and spouses and uh, uh, the other rules for employment-based immigrants, um, and inserting three and four and by striking subsection A and B of section 203. So let's go back to section 203 of the act, we go back to 203 here. Uh, 11.52, so this is where it gets, uh, you know, you gotta pull out the book. It's so, e so much easier to have uh, 
have an actual book in front of you instead of having to search the internet for, uh, for the provisions in the law. So in section 203 is the allocation or 8, 8 USC 1153 allocation of immigrant visas. And under this particular provision, it strikes subsection B, uh, section A and B is allocation of visas, preference allocation for family-based immigrants, and B is preference allocation for employment-based immigrants. It strike those out. Um, and the conforming amendments are as follows. So what the, as you strike them out, now they amend these particular um, um, provisions. And section 202, uh, which is the numerical limitation on, of an, on individual states, uh, now reads as follows uh, in section 1. Um, and uh, we'll go back here to section uh, 52. All right, it says this. It, uh, in subsection A3, striking both subsections, we get the special rules. Here it is. If it is determined that the total number of immigrant visas made available under Section 203 to natives of any single foreign state or dependent area will exceed the numerical limitation specified in subsection A2, which is the per country limits of 7%. Um, visa numbers with respect to the natives of that state or area shall be allocated to, to the extent practical and otherwise consistent with this subsection in a manner so that is, except as provided in A4, the proportion of the visa numbers made available under each paragraphs, 1 through 4 of Section 203A, is equal to the ratio of the total number of visas made available under the representative pa respective paragraph to the total number of visas made available under Section 203A. What that does is increase the numbers of the immigration visas that are available uh, to, the, uh, to individuals from each country, because in 203, it goes through each of the categories of the visas. Um, so it's saying that proportionally they should be made available. Um, and it says under the transition rules for these employment-based immigrants, this is really kind of important, these transition rules, that for 2020, which is the fiscal year we're currently in, 15% of the immigrant visas made available under each of these paragraphs, EB2, EB3, EB4, EB5, you know, EB5, shall be allocated to immigrants who are natives of a foreign state, not one of the two greatest. So what they're saying is that 15% of these immigrations made available is the maximum from 7% that anybody can use. Okay, this helps clear out some of the EB-5 stuff from not, not from uh, India uh, and China. 2021, that drops to 10% um, from the current 7%, and 2022, it's 10%. Now, under the per-country levels of this particular piece of legislation, it says this. With respect to the visas reserved under what we just talked about, A through C, the number of such visas made available to natives of any single foreign state or dependent area in the appropriate fiscal year may not exceed 25% in the case of a single foreign state uh, or 2% in a fair area. So basically, India and China for the first three years can use no more than 25% of these numbers. And no other foreign state can use more than uh, 15 and then 10 and 10 percent. Now, it goes further. It says, with respect to the immigrant visa made available under these categories that are not reserved, so if there's other numbers available um, for each of the fiscal years, uh, not more than 85 percent shall be allocated to immigrants who are natives of any single foreign state. So if other countries max out on their 15 and then 10 percent, um, we're going to allow India and China to use the other numbers before them, 
but no country can take more than 85%, which means basically that there's not going to be a country shut out of the process. There may be a backlog, but it's not going to be a complete shutout like it is under 386. Um, one of the things I really like about this bill uh, is the provision uh, that exists to prevent unused visas. I mean, that's every year there's a couple thousand visas that are wasted, it seems like, uh, because of incompetence. So it, it says it's with respect to fiscal years 2021 and 22. Um, Basically, uh, visas may be issued during the remainder of any fiscal year without regard to paragraphs one or two. Basically, you can keep issuing the, the visas for that fiscal year to use them all up before you use the ones from the next year. Um, and there's a transition rule again for currently approved beneficiaries. This is, again, one of the big problems with 386 is there's no transition rule. What if I've got a pending labor cert? What if I'm uh, waiting for my prevailing wage? What if I've got my I-140 filed? What, 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 what? And, and it's... 386 says, nope, you're screwed. Have a nice day. You go back to 10 years. Have a nice day. So what this says, in general, notwithstanding, blah, 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 says this. Um, visas shall be allocated such that no alien described in the paragraph we're about to read receives visa later than the alien otherwise would have received said visa had this act not been enacted. So an alien described in subparagraph A is the beneficiary of a petition for immigrant visa under 203B that was approved prior to the date of enactment of this bill. All right, that's, that's easy to do. What about those with the pending labor cert? We're going to talk to that in a second. Uh, rules for chargeability. So the chargeability rules uh, shall uh, apply in terms of the foreign state to so which an alien is chargeable for purpose of the subsection. And then ensuring availability of immigrant visas for each of fiscal year 20 through 24, notwithstanding the act itself, um, visas shall be made available and allocated such that no alien is a beneficiary of petition for an immigrant visa under such section receives a visa later than the alien otherwise would have received such visa had it not been enacted and to permit all visas to be distributed in accordance with this section. Um, now, that's, that first section of the bill, the section two, is slightly different than 386, but anybody who supports 386 should have no problem with that section. That's... That's basically a bettering of what is there in 386 without really effectively changing anything and taking some of the sting away. So if Dick Durbin was to negotiate with Lee, my, if Lee was willing to negotiate, it's unclear whether he is or whether he's going to try to outlast Durbin. But if he wouldn't negotiate with Lee, that's the provision that would be put into an updated 386, which would account for some of the... Uh, uh, backlog, not shutting out people from, from India and China over the long term. This is, of course, the primary consideration of virtually anybody who supports uh, uh, the concept of getting per-country limits to do so without damaging people. Section three is where uh, uh, you will likely see um, uh, uh, probably a lack of support among the voters of 3D, supporters of 3D6. says this. In addition to all those changes, the Secretary of State shall make immigrant visas available to, one, aliens who are beneficiaries filed under Section 203 before the date of enactment, and aliens who are beneficiaries of positions filed under Section 8, which section before the date of enactment of the bill, the allocation of these visas for employment-based immigrant visas for fiscal years 20 through 24 says the Secretary shall allocate 
Two aliens described in A1, a number of immigrant visas equal to one-fifth of the number of aliens described in each subsection, the visas of whom have not been issued for the opposite of that date of enactment. And for family-sponsored immigrants, in each of the fiscal years 20 through 24, the Secretary shall allocate to the alien described in Section A2 a number of immigrant visas equal to one-fifth of the difference between the total number of aliens described in each section and the number of aliens described in Section A1. Basically, that's going to push forward family-based numbers much more rapidly. Um, and the order of issuance for previously filed applicants, the visas made available under this section shall be issued in accordance with Section 202 as amended by the Act. So this, again, this section you could probably live with. It's not, it doesn't really effectively change the law in ways that are bad uh, or that would chase away, you know, some Republican voters, uh, senators. Now, the next section is one that I think would really, uh, is going to be something that we have to work on together if we want to pass a bill. And I do want a bill passed. I mean, I would love to have a bill passed. But again, how do you, how do you not shut out people for a decade? Even under, under this version of Durbin's bill, it makes it, you know, it's still, there's still some delays and backlogs, which is still detrimental. So it says Section 4 says this, essentially. Um, as it, as it redefines, it's entitled the Keeping Family, American Families Together section. Basically, what this says is we're no longer this, in treatment of spouses and children of deceased citizens or lawful permanent residents. If the alien who was a spouse or children of a citizen of the United States or an alien lawfully even for permanent residence was not legally separated from the citizen, they can stay in the United States. So this, again, is designed to keep widows in there. Unmarried sons and children of lawful permanent residents, qualified immigrants who are the unmarried sons or unmarried daughters of permanent residents shall be allocated visas in a number not to be, not to the 27th plus the number of visas available. So it kind of goes through the numbers for these folks and protecting the children from aging out. So for purposes of this subsection, a determination of whether an alien satisfies the age requirement shall be made using the age of the alien on the date on which position it was filed, period. So you basically you're not going to age out anymore on any of these applications. Again, that helps. That helps these, the, the kids that are being put out there by uh, supporters of 386. This means they're going to get a green card when their mom and dad get a green card. This is a, this is a good thing uh, moving forward. So maybe we could live with this part of the bill. Um, there is a provision for determining uh, whether somebody's immediate relative, which essentially makes spouses of and children of permanent residents immediate relatives, so they're not counted against the cap going forward. It frees up uh, about 100, uh, you know, what is it, 100,000, 85, 95,000 of the numbers available each year, so that's, that's a good provision in the law. Um, and uh, the other key thing that this provision does is it removes counting spouses and children from the overall numbers, and that that is what supporters of 3 to 6 says is the killer because it effectively increases and doubles the number, yeah, it doubles the number of employees that can immigrate under EB2 and EB3. So right now about 18,000, 17,000 actual employees immigrate each year under the 40,000 category. Uh, if we don't count parents and children, uh, spouses and children, then the number goes to 40,000. So you've effectively doubled the numbers, which means the lines get processed much, much faster. Take away the per country limit qualification, and that's how you can clear out the backlog in a decade uh, through this bill. 
and at least partially through the other bill without accounting for, of course, future flow. Remember, we made this mistake in 1986 with amnesty, is we did not account for future flow. There will continue to be um, thousands, tens of thousands of immigrants from India and China that want to immigrate to America, especially once Trump is gone and our numbers go back up because our people aren't afraid to come to America anymore. Uh, so we have to account for future flow, which, which, which I believe 2306 actually effectively does. Uh, so there you go. That's, that's kind of a summary of 386, uh, 20, uh, 2603, I'm sorry, 2603, um, and how it differs and is the same as, in some respects, 386. And now, well, the final version of the bill is yet to be published, the draft version of the bill that I have access to. Final version of the bill uh, is not yet up on Thomas or uh, any or the C-SPAN site, but I imagine will be shortly. What we have to look for here is ways to work together to make 386 not as detrimental as it is, because we know, let's be clear, let's not lie to ourselves, there's only one shot at this. You get one shot. That's it. You got your rifle, you got your target, you get one bullet. You're not going to come back and fix anything. Just ask people who claimed that we would go back and fix 96. You're not going to fix anything. Ask people that want to that amend the, the ACA. You get one shot, and you got to give it your best shot. And 386 simply is not our best shot. So it, it, I believe what uh, 2603 does is it lays the cards on the table to Senator Lee. It says you need to fix this bill uh, before uh, you can move forward with it. Now, could he, is he going to lose people like Senator Perdue if he makes substantive changes to it? Eh, he might, which means you'd have to go back for a hearing. But it's clear that both within his own party, Senator Rand, Paul, uh, uh, who put his bill up there kind of as just a, you know, brought attention to himself. But Durbin here, who's been classified horribly, Dick Durbin is an honorable and good man. Really, one of the, one of the, the people that you would count on when, when your chips are down. Dick Durbin is a good man. Uh, not in it for the power, not in it for the glory, but there to do good. The son of immigrants. To call him a racist is vile. To say that he supports slavery is vile. Shame on you. Shame on you for saying that. You know, es una vergüenza. Shame on you for saying that. What he wants is to protect the people both from India and China, as well as those that he has fought for for decades as part of the DREAM Act and TPS. And, 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 and applause to him for having the guts to stand alone, at least to a certain extent. Leahy is co-sponsoring this bill. And I think as the bill gets uh, filed, other co-sponsors will join. Um, and maybe we can go back and, and, and talk Senator Lee, who's carrying the water for Silicon Valley right now, uh, to fix this bill. Hey, it's been great being with you this week on the Immigration Hour. I am uh, back next week again uh, with our next show. Uh, there's going to be probably another vote this week, I'd imagine, uh, for unanimous consent. Uh, maybe Durbin's going to negotiate with Lee, or better yet, maybe Lee will talk to Durbin instead of insulting him on the floor. Uh, he apparently made no effort to do so prior to putting this bill forward just assuming Democrats would support it um, and only work with Republicans to modify it to make it worse. I'd also think that the H-1B stuff is garbage in this bill. Um, and, uh, you know, setting, having to set aside for uh, uh, shortage occupations is important, but it ignores the other occupations. And it's, by the way, the shortage occupations haven't been updated in, my God, 40 years. 
Let's take another look at that again in an economy with 3% unemployment. Well, this is your host, Charles Cook, Cook Baxter Immigration. If you have any comments, you can go on Twitter, where apparently you're free to insult me. That's uh, C-K-U-C-K. Um, you can also email me at chuck at immigration.net. Until next week, this is your host, Chuck Cook, on the Immigration Hour.